Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Welcome to the Stargate Archives, and we're back again with an episode of Legend. Episode 4 in the one and only season of the Richard Dean Anderson Show. This episode is Custer's Next to Last Stand, premiered May the 9th, 1995, written by Bill Dial and directed by William Geraghty. You may know that name from the episodes of Stargate SG-1 that he also directed. As usual, no really messing about, we're going to jump straight in with the legend. We start off with black screen, a bit of ominous music, and we see a reverse shot from within a closet as someone is going through somebody's belongings. It looks like a lot of uh, buckskin. Hide, so could be Ernest, Nicodemus, could be somebody else. We'll find out. Camera cuts to the streets of Sheridan. Ernest is walking along, really just come from the saloon, as is the norm. And he's greeted by the mayor. The mayor is played by Robert Donner, uh, who passed away in 2006. Guest starred on MacGyver, Falcon Crest, and also played Exodor on Mork and Mindy. If you're of a similar vintage to me, you might remember that character. And the mayor seems delighted. He's thanking Nicodemus. Oh, God. Here I go again. Four episodes in. I'm still mixing up the characters' names. He's very pleased with Ernest. It seems that uh, George Custer and his wife are going to visit Sheridan. It seems a bit of a surprise to Ernest. He knows Mrs. Custer. They were friends. So uh, something's going on already. They're laying the groundwork. As Ernest says, Mrs. Custer, Libby is an old friend. Well, that's a bit foreboding, isn't it? We cut back to the interior shot. The the man is searching through drawers and picks up an album, a photograph album, starts paging through it until he gets to a particular newspaper article, which seems to upset him a bit because he rips it out and scrunches it up. We see that he's got an eye patch, a golden eye patch. Let's say this show never does anything by half, does it? <laughs> Judging by the various items in the drawers, though, this is very definitely Ernest's room. Ah, Ernest is on the way back to his hotel room, and there's an intruder in the hotel room. Brace yourself. Ernest is trying to do his best to get away from the mayor, who's uh, becoming a bit hectic. He's worried that the Custers will not be visiting Sheridan, because he's, he's got a pack. He's got interpretive dance organised. Even a dead council member on the uh, <laughs> city board has voted unanimously for funding the plaque. Ernest seems a bit surprised there's somebody dead on the city council, but... It's more of an honorary thing. <laughs> Ernest makes it to his room, and that's where he's jumped by this individual, holds a gun to the back of his head, and starts almost talking in the third person. This guy, though, knows Ernest. There is a past, there is a history there. And knowing Ernest, he tends to be a bit of oblivious every now and again about the things he writes, so he might have done this guy wrong. And the gun comes down and cold cocks him. Cue credits. We're back, and Ernest is at the professor's. Who's laying on the sarcasm rather thick? How many enemies have you made, Ernest, over the years? How many puns <laughs> may be out to get you? Even Ramos is uh, joining in on the fun. Ernest then goes to tell a tale about his time playing football at college, where he could have a touchdown in the last minute. Unfortunately, he ran the wrong way. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm not... Not quite sure that's the way it works, but we'll go. We'll go with it because it's fun anyway. 
They're certainly working on some sort of big contraption. It looks like, well, a much larger version of the steam-powered car. No doubt we'll see that later because the next scene is out in the wilderness and we see the Custers riding towards town, talking about Ernest, a former beau of Libby. The two of them talk about politics. Seems that there's a bit of a scandal in the war department at the moment. Might give a motive for somebody wanting to off Custer. And of course, naturally, Ernest will find himself right smack bang in the middle of the plot. And here they come. Yep, a large steam-driven vehicle. Multi-story even. <laughs> uh, anyway, Libby seems pleased to see Ernest, and certainly Ernest is pleased to see Libby. I didn't expect to see you until we got to the fort. Well, modern transportation, you know. I... Hmm. Oh, Libby, last time I saw you, you... Well... Ernest. You look beautiful. Custer is played by Alex Hyde-White, British-born actor, been in Battlestar, Babylon 5, Rogers, a lot of sci-fi in his resume. Libby is played by Ashley Lawrence. She's had a pretty extensive career, been in most of the Hellraiser movies. And Custer and Ernest trade Bob straight away. Interesting. Professor, of course, doesn't miss an opportunity to pimp his vehicle. He's always looking to uh, do some business. Not surprisingly, Custer takes the opportunity to ride on the steam-powered locomotive, makes his entrance at the local fort, uh, waving his hat, all pomp and circumstance. The band are playing Gary Owen, which, since I'm a fan of the Errol Flynn, they died with their boots on, I know is uh, tied to the 7th Cavalry. Exactly how accurate that movie is in real life is, well, best not look too deeply in. The Sergeant Major is pleased to see Custer, obviously they know each other, but there's also somebody from the War Department and they mention that something's going on with the trading post which will probably be independently owned. Obviously their goals are to make money, not to keep the peace as we've seen through decades and decades, centuries even. Economics can influence military and political decisions. We've gone to war to protect vested interests willing to spill blood to do that. No difference in the Victorian times when the empire was being built and maintained, no different to the colonising of America and the uh, westward expansion. Either way, Ernest gets himself dropped in it, Cluster, Cluster. <laughs> Cluster pretty much comes out and says that Ernest is going to write about the corruption in the War Department, which surprises us Ernest. We'll see how it pans out. Right, we're all seated around the enlisted men's mess hall table where they're getting served a fine repast. As the sergeant major puts out, this is not normally the case. This sort of really good quality beef is normally sold off by the trading post at a profit. They are given rancid horse meat, vinegar and oils. Corruption, again, at the highest levels, which is why Custer is so eager to shake up the war department. But that's not the worst of it. The Sergeant Major takes them down to the rifle range where they test fire a weapon. Shell casings are cheap copper. May I? After only a few rounds, the chamber heats up, melts the casing, jams the weapon. Uh, it's not, like I say, nothing much has changed, has it? We see our military forces going off with some phenomenal weaponry. And then we see them going off with body armor that isn't really suitable, vehicles that are not designed for ground combat. And only years later, with hundreds of deaths behind them, are things bright. If politicians had to fight the wars, there'd be fewer wars. That's for damn sure. Anyhow, Cluster... Cluster... Jesus. Cluster is enraged. What's he going to do about it? 
Again, Ernest throws water onto the hell, fire and brimstone attitude of Custer. As he says, Washington isn't going to listen to the charisma of Custer. Ego, don't you mean? Editorial word choice. <laughs> Nicely done. Custer always was, or at least reported to have been, larger than life. Egotistical, I suppose you've got to be, with, his, you know, with the deeds he is uh, attributed to accomplishing. But in this point, Ernest is right. Even the people on in the War Department on Capitol Hill, the honest senators and congressmen, they will want facts. They will need proof and hearsay and innuendo and the word of Custer isn't going to cut it. And this is when Libby takes Ernest by the arm and walks him away and admits that she approached him to make sure the pass crossed because she needs his help. So it isn't just a reunion. She needs his help for her husband. And as Ernest says, he might not be able to do anything, but maybe legend could. So we're in business. Very nice speech, though. very nice scene between the two of them. Ashley Lawrence is a beautiful actress as well. Never seen the Hellraiser series, so I don't know whether or not she was any good in them, but she survived if she were in that many, so that's saying a thing. <laughs> and a gun appears behind Nicodemus's head. And donning the mantle of Nicodemus <laughs> got him into trouble straight away. And it's the man with the golden eye patch. What is Ernest to do now? Nicodemus legend doesn't smoke. Do you know why you're still alive, Mr. Pratt? Clean living? Yep, it seems these two have definitely got history. Although, Ernest doesn't remember it. Doesn't understand what's going on. But the one-eyed man mentions Custer. So again, there's a clue. It's Ernest is still drawing a blank though. Anyhow, the man walks off and when Ernest turns around, he's vanished. <laughs> As if by magic. Right, later that night, the Professor and Ernest are having a heart to heart while they are attempting to hack into the local telegraph line which leads to the trading post. Nine o'clock on the dot, the bad guy starts sending a telegram and they intercept it. As Ernest points out, well, it may be legal at the moment, but as soon as the government hears about it, they'll make it illegal to do this sort of thing. Again, nothing much changes. And they provide the information to Custer. Is hearsay evidence, this proof that this Endicott Whipple is selling meat and vegetables to a Kansas private company for profit, with the blessing of people within the War Department, should seal the case. Job well done, legend. He's got that smug look on his face, but we're only halfway through the episode, so something's going to go wrong. You can put money on that. They're driving the steam carriage out of town, and they come across a roadblock. Of course, this is the only problem with the steam carriage. If they're on horseback, they could just ride around it. But the local band of Indians takes this opportunity to attack the carriage. I was thinking at this point that these were going to turn out to be some of Endicott's men, so it would be perfectly permissible to have white people dressed up as Native Americans. A little bit, well, you don't suppose to do that sort of thing these days. Anyhow, thanks to the ingenious devices of the professor, the Indians are driven off while the one-eyed man looks on from a distance with a little telescope to his one eye. <laughs> I wasn't aware there were any hostels in the area. Well, there weren't. Maybe they converted. All Indians are hostile, gentlemen. Present company excluded, of course. Ramos? Obviously, the local tribe heard that the West's greatest Indian fighter is in town and uh, felt obliged to take advantage of the occasion. You've got to love it. The ego of Custer. He believes that these Indians that aren't local to this area 
have travelled hundreds of miles just for the opportunity to kill him. Ernest, of course, thinks there's something else going on, and my money's on Ernest being right. Now, this is a bit awkward as well. We see an Indian performing a dance, a ritual. A tourist business isn't too bad, he says. Standing Beaver is his name. Ernest has gone there for information. They do a deal. As he says, receipts are a little down. If he can move his show to uh, the Nicodemus Legend gift shop, then things will be better. So they shake on it. Standing Beaver points out that somebody came around looking to buy 20 Indian ponies the other week. A man they call Golden Eye. So there you go. There's, there's the connection. So it looks like those Indians might very well have been white men disguised as Native Americans. Looking to kill Custer, though. Again, we've got this connection we haven't, we're not quite seeing yet, but it's there. So, let's see what happens. Ernest returns to his hotel room, goes for his album, looks through it, and finds the missing newspaper article. These articles are all around 1869. Boo. Bad year for me. February, March, I don't recall at all. Of course, this was when he was a journalist, and he remembers that he was writing about a break-in by somebody who worked for the War Department and that it was such an inept break-in that he wrote it as a puff piece. The guy lost an eye about a week later. So uh, we've got the connection now. We're still missing some fine details. The professor pulls a rabbit out of the hat, gets an imprint of the newspaper article. The ink has, over the years, soaked into the opposite page. And they identify the mysterious stranger as Flintlock Kane, former War Department employee who worked for Mr. Wimple, who's running the trading post, so they tied that together. He's indignant, he uh, says he's got nothing to do with the attack on Custer, but as Ernest says, I categorically deny that charge. Oh, save it. I can tie Kane to the attack, and I'm sure without much trouble, you to him. And if anything happens to Custer, he'll be back. And here we have it. Wimple and Kane do know each other, and while Wimple is running scared, Kane isn't. Killing Custer for you? while I get the satisfaction of watching the famed Nicodemus legend look on helplessly in disgrace. Well, you can forget about them both now. You're finished. Terminated. Do you understand? <laughs> oh, I love a challenge, Mr. Whipple. What's he to do? Well, there's only one person at the War Department that knows what he's doing, and that's Wimple. So, <laughs> fade to black. And we wonder what happened to him. Bit more music, a bit of dancing, Gary Owen playing again. They do like that song. And the people of Sheridan are happy, especially the mayor. He got the Custers to visit. Of course, George isn't going to miss this opportunity for a bit of grandstanding. Climbing up on the coach, doing his speech. Ernest points out, running for office. <laughs> he praises everybody, including his Indian friend. Wow, that's uh, unusual for Custer. He actually accepts that a Native American may not be an enemy. Yet. And gifted Indian associate Ramos and of course your own Nicodemus legend who has proven himself a true hero to me and never one to miss an opportunity the legend balloon takes flight it provides some air cover for the stagecoach which comes in handy because oh look golden eyes one of the drivers <laughs> now the problem is you're in an air balloon and they're on stagecoach it's going to be a little tricky to catch up because I don't think this air balloon is that fast. Oh yes, oh yes. We're only four episodes in and they're getting a hell of a lot of use out of the the wings. Getting the money's worth for sure. So Ernest is in hot pursuit 
Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to land on the top of the stage, fight off the driver, save the day. Then again, who knows? <laughs> who am I kidding? Of course he is. Don't try to be perfect, right? And don't try to get into the driver's seat. But if you get close to the roof, Professor, I've done this before. Remember me? Yes. Oh, nice work. Actually, a very nice little stunt. Don't know if you're Richard Dean Anderson who actually hanging from the flyer as it crested over the stagecoach, but props to the uh, stunt actor, or maybe RDA, end up landing on horseback. <laughs> Mr. Driver totally. Now, if this was an old age western, this would be one of the stunts of the century. We've seen it a couple of times where the where the guy jumps onto the, one of the uh, team of horses and ends up falling in between them, then falling under stagecoach. God, you've got to have nerves of steel for a stunt like that, especially back in the day. But it looks like the professor's going to come to the rescue. He's uh, taking the airship lower, dropping the anchor. Don't tell me he's actually going to pick up the stagecoach. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. The professor manages to hook the gun belt of Golden Eye and lift him straight off the stagecoach into midair. Custer takes care of the guard inside the stagecoach. It's up to Ernest to bring the stagecoach to rest. Nicely done. Tell Mr. Pratt, I'll see him again. <laughs> oh, and Goldeneye then cuts himself free of the rope and he plummets to his death. <laughs> and I know he's supposed to be a bit of an idiot, according to Ernest, ten years ago, but that was weird. Anyhow, the cavalry is on the way. The day has been saved. All that's needed now are the goodbyes. You know, I could use one of those Bartok inflatables on my campaign against the Sioux and Cheyenne this summer. You boys wouldn't want to come along with me now, would you? Oh, no, no. No, thank you very much. Nice invitation. An interesting farewell. Custer references his forthcoming campaign against Sioux and the Cheyenne. Uh, Going to be a glorious victory. His name will <laughs> live in history. Yeah, unfortunately for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and so the Custers set off into the sunset and the boys go off to the balloon. Roll credits. Lucky fella, that Custer. Some people always seem to be in the right place at the right time. You know? Well, shall we? Good episode. They've all been good episodes. A lot of fun. A lot of tongue-in-cheek action and characterization, dialogue. This whole show works. It just didn't have the time. Okay then, uh, my next episode will be back on Stargate. I'm going to be having a chat with Thomas and then later Tim. Not quite sure at the moment which episodes will be. It's their choice, of course. If you want to be on the podcast with me, then please get in touch. Stargatearchives at gmail.com. Stargatearchives.com. You can find us on Twitter at TheGateCast, which is one word. And we're on Facebook and Tumblr. You can find us, the feed, on iTunes and Google Play. So uh, plenty of places to hear us, and Stitcher as well. I put us on Stitcher. The Gatecast always used to be on there, and I thought, why not put the Stargate archives on there as well? Okay then, that was Custer's Next to Last Stand. I've been Mike. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>